Drew Balpin, Timo Brass, and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his monthly appearance. It's his monthly appearance. He's a senior editor at Fangraphs.com. Jeff Sullivan. It's Jeff Sullivan. And what follows, I invite Jeff Sullivan to delight himself uh, so that uh, those who are already delighted by Jeff Sullivan uh, might continue to be, I suppose. Uh, does does what follows uh, does what follows contain any baseball related content? Some, it does. Some, it also contains uh, some remarks by Sullivan on the subject of fatigue, uh, on the subject of death, uh, that, and uh, also the relative unimportance of service uh, at a at a fine dining restaurant. If you're going to like a really high end place that like David Appleman likes to go to, then they'll train their their service to be really really great, but they don't need to be. You know, because they could just bring you the food and they'll be like, this is this is going to blow you away. Just eat it. More invaluable commentary such as that in what follows. What follows immediately, not a conversation with Jeff Sullivan. Uh, however, but a word from our sponsor. The sponsor is Draft and the Draft app. You're familiar with FanDuel or DraftKings? You likely are. You likely are. Uh, draft is not unlike those except for this distinction. It is the first daily fantasy sports game designed exclusively for the mobile experience. After you've downloaded the Draft app, what you do is to engage either a friend or an internet stranger who is uh, already part of the draft universe. You each select, uh, by way of a snake draft, you each select five players. Those players accrue fantasy points. Whichever of you or your opponent has accrued the most fantasy points, you are the winner. That is the winner, that person. If you are so moved, uh, you are entitled, provided you live in most of the states, provided you live in most of the states, you are entitled to wager American currency while doing this. And I know, I know you might be confused because Fangraphs Audio typically deals in the uh, analysis of baseball. You might be confused with the baseball season over. Why I'm telling you about this? Well, allow me to inform you right now. The draft offers similar games for both college and professional football, and also professional hockey and basketball. Intrigued is likely what you are. Well, if so, and. If you also own a device with the iOS operating system, feel free to download the Draft app from the App Store. Alternatively, if you're the sort of person who has a device with the Android operating system, you can find the app at Google Play or something like Google Play, with which utterance I believe I have completed the message from our sponsor. And I can now invite you to the conversation to follow. And I can say, what is it? It's Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Senior Editor Jeff Sullivan. And when does it begin? Right now. By uh, customs, like saying hello. I must see why it's on me. You're the one who called me. It's true, but the um, I think the reason why it's on the caller is because the caller doesn't necessarily know when you are prepared, or even who you are. To be honest, um, I guess that's maybe less uh, the case uh, in the cell phone era. But like, if you called someone's home phone, and then they just they pick up. But they say nothing. Then you don't you don't know who you're talking to. So what do you say? To whom am I speaking? To whom to whom am I he, to whose breath am I hearing? <laughs> uh, anyway, I uh, listening. I have a, a friend of mine who uh, who will call and then he will call my cell phone. I don't even I don't even need to say cell phone. He'll just call my phone and yeah. then I'll always uh, I'll answer and then he'll say, Hey Jeff, it's Dan, and I get it because that's how we were raised more or less to uh, to talk on the phone for decades 
but no one needs to introduce themselves anymore. Certainly, if you're if you're the caller, yeah. then you never need to introduce yourself. And if if you're picking up, it's you are pretty much always in possession of your own cell phone. So we we can assume we can just skip the pleasantries and just keep fact, whoa, hold hold the presses. Chris Ionetta has just signed a major league contract. Okay. Yeah, got to get off this phone call so I can write two thousand words on Chris Ionetta. And a one-year contract. Chris Ayanetta is of particular interest to you because, or is he not of particular interest to you? Oh, no, he is. He is very much not. Although he will spare me the, hopefully he'll spare me the displeasure of watching Mike Zanino uh, a lot now because he just signed with the Mariners. The downside of which being I will be the opposite of spared the displeasure of watching Chris Ayanetta hit in his stead. Oh, is he not? Is he not hitting well that, uh, in recent years? Ayanetta had a bad year last year, oh. but. Was he was fine before? It was weird. He was like a a decent hitter, couldn't play defense, and then he became a decent defender, and he couldn't hit. Yeah, that's right. Well, he was uh, what he came up with Colorado, I believe. Is that is, is that yeah, right? Was, if I recall, he was actually a pretty decent prospect of them too. Yeah, yeah. Although it was hardly uh, well, I I would have been in such a place where I would have likely not. Well, no, 2006, perhaps I would have. Uh, I guess the concept of uh, park factors would have been uh, sure. I would have understood it at that point. Mm-hmm. But uh, it could still be uh, seductive uh, uh, prospects' uh, performances early on, especially in a place like Colorado. And you say, "Oh, look at that! He hit 18 home runs." But then, but then, but then, who knows what? Fun fact. Yeah. Uh, that I just noticed: Chris Ionetta, born in Rhode Island, born in Rhode Island, which is uncommon. Uh, but, I think. Uh, but yes, it is uncommon. Not shocking that he's an Italian person, though, uh, because uh, of course well, one of the most other notable. Um, recent baseball players to have been to have been born in Rhode Island, Rocco Baldelli. Yeah, there yeah. are a lot of Italian people the, generally. Who is the off the top of your head? Yeah, you you don't know who is the all time leader in plate appearances from a player born in Rhode Island. <laughs> Here, here's a tip. I don't know how to say his last name actually. Yeah, that's not a great tip. But is it a? Okay. What? Who is it? Nap. La oh, oh, Napla. yeah. Oi, Napla. I'm. Well, why don't we just go with second place? Paul Canerco. <laughs> That's easier. That's a lot oh, easier. Paulie Canerco's from Rhode Island as well. Yeah. Well, what do you know? His name is Paulie Canerco. Yeah. Uh. We're gonna. That's um, what I got. I got Chris Inet and I got I got Napla Hoi. Lajway. 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 That's, Lajway. that's So much better. Yeah. Lajway. He might be a. Uh, yeah, Napoleon Lajoie. He's from like Woonsocket. To... He's from Woonsocket, yeah. which is also where Rocco Baldelli's from. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Well, there's only there's only so many towns to be from in Rhode Island if you're going to be from Rhode Island. I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, small state in the union. Is that not right? Uh, yeah, but not most forgettable. Which is the most forgettable? Do you think? Well, for me, I, it's always Delaware. Okay. Uh, in that, well, I shouldn't say it's always forgettable because it's the le- Delaware is not. Forgettable because I always think of it as being the most, most forgettable. forgettable. Right? Whatever so is like second the, most forgettable really is the most forgettable. Right. I can't actually tell you which is the most forgettable one, right? That's the yeah, whole thing. It. It's right. like saying something's the most underrated so often. That, an interesting backstory on looking at Chris Ionetta's baseball reference page because I don't have anything better to do since I'm on this podcast. His agent history, uh, previous, <laughs> his previous agent, Alan Nero. Okay, that's fine. Lots of people have Alan Nero as a current or previous agent. His current agent is listed as Lou John Nero. So, hmm. what do you think took place 
so that he went from Alan Nero to what is presumably a family member of Alan Nero mm-hmm. under Octagon. Why not just say, still with Nero, still, still with o- Octagon? Still with Octagon, I, yeah. Yeah. yeah hey, Jeff, you know, I can always trust you to bring up great points like these. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More interesting things about Chris oh, Iannetta. Okay. He yeah. attended St. Raphael Academy yeah. in Providence, Rhode Island. The only major league baseball player ever yeah. to come from there. Yeah. yeah. What, what I, what listeners will be surprised to learn, Jeff, is that oh. all of this is scripted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, in even, even the timing of the transaction. Yep. We we pulled our Fangraphs connection strings. Mm-hmm. We're like, hey, Mariners, and because you know this Chris Iannetta transaction has been rumored for like a week and a half. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be imminent like ten days ago or something. You mean to the to Seattle specifically? To Seattle, yeah, because oh my god, they their catcher situation has been a nightmare. Right, and do you think uh, Iannetta will have a, a helpful effect on that nightmarish scenario? I think. I mean, I we'll see what they do, but I assume that Iannetta is there to play regularly, and then you can back him up with some pile of crap like Jesus Sucre for a few months and let Mike that's Zanino not, hit. That's not nice. Come on. That's not nice. Statistical pile of crap like Jesus Sucre, yeah, but right. very warm, personable fellow, Jesus sure. Sucre. Let me but, ask you this question. <clears throat> um, you have, uh, you of course, grew up or spent at least a, uh, some not insubstantial portion of your life root, root, rooting for the Seattle Mariners. Um, and then I think, uh, not unlike managing editor Dave Cameron, ha- uh, were disabused of your allegiance, uh, owing to a number of factors probably, not the least of which was their um, incompetence. Is that is that fair to say, what, it, what the things I've said up till right now? It's not unfair. Okay, it's not unfair. Um, <clears throat> it's, uh, of course, it's easier to spend time, I would say it's probably easier to spend time contemplating a team that's good as opposed to one that's bad, or if not good and bad, at least a, an organization that makes good decisions as opposed to bad ones. Is this is this fair so far? That's fair. Do you do you um, do you think there's a possibility now that with a regime change in the front office of the Seattle Mariners uh, that you uh, that you might open your heart back up again to to them? Well, I think it's it's a similar boat to Dave in that we were both sort of put off by, you know, who the team was. But I spent years writing about the Mariners team anyway, so it wasn't really the problem. It was more of just this job in particular pulls you away from being so focused on, on one team. And while it would still be possible if I wanted to, say, watch the Mariners every night and then write about the Mariners every night and try to preserve that connection it's just not reasonable because that's, then i'm i'm working too hard and i i don't get any sleep and what i'm i've recently come to discover is that sleep is not overrated it's actually very critical to maintaining oh, oneself so, it's really great it is it is fantastic sleep all this time i've been like shut up girlfriend you're wrong let's stay up let's watch 30 rock again we've only been through it five times but no it's like she wants to go to bed wait when you say shut up is. girlfriend are you doing it like to is that or something you're saying to your actual like Partner, or are you doing it like in a little bit of like a sassy way? Like, shut up, girlfriend. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe no. you're just, like maybe, yeah. like maybe, like yeah, that's actually what you said to Dave Cameron. Yeah, no, you're I'm like, not very. Have sassy. you ever said the word "shut up, girlfriend" to Dave Cameron? <laughs> and maybe also like snapped your fingers. Well, like, well okay. Fun fact: I can't snap. Okay. Uh, I don't know how, which is embarrassing. But I, I like to blame the much, fact. I don't know that, how fun uh, this is. It's not. It's harrowing. Well, well, would you like some Jason dark, Vargas dark fun truth. facts? Because 
Derek okay, Chisholm. So, so some more Chris Iannetta fun fact. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, to go back to the point, I, the job, I think, is what pulls you away from one team in particular more than the team being bad. Of course, the team being bad doesn't help. And I do know I've had this job for a number of years, and when the Mariners were uh, chasing to make the playoffs two seasons ago, which feels ages and ages ago, it was really quite exciting to watch them and and kind of get pulled in. So, of course, it's still there. And when people ask in chats, like, the Mariners is still the team I pay the most attention to. It's just that instead of that attention being, like, 75% Mariners, 25% everyone else, it's, like, 10% Mariners, 90% everyone else. And uh, the fact that they have what seems to be a better front office, I don't know if it counts as a great front office yet, but a better one makes it more likely they'll be good soon, which makes it more likely I will want to watch the Mariners soon, but no longer do I feel obligated to watch them when they suck, which is really quite a relief. Yeah. Do you sometimes, when you're uh, thinking about baseball, are you, um, are you ever like, you know what, uh, this might be an opiate of the masses? <laughs> you ever, ever had that idea? It, uh, Do you ever get a suspicion that maybe actually that it is an opiate of the masses? I never in those specific words, but yeah. I think it's my, most of my that describes most of my train of thought. I just will use synonyms and and beat around that bush. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. Yeah. You ever do you ever think that the stuff we do on Fangraphs, which is writing about one of the three most popular sports in in North America, sure, uh, all the stuff we do appeals to perhaps a fraction of a percent of the people who follow that sport? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's uh, I think that's probably a distinct possibility. Yeah, I, I mean, different. It, uh, yeah, I have uh, I'm of two minds, maybe more minds, but I'm of no fewer <laughs> no fewer than two minds regarding. Have you been diagnosed? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! And by the end of this, I will yeah. be. Yeah. I um. I often I think is sometimes I think that um. What do I think? I think that baseball and the sort of um, data that it produces, and I don't just mean quantitative data; I mean qualitative data too. Just it, it, baseball is an opportunity to look to um, observe a, a, a event after event after event. That's what mm-hmm. it's one of the things I'm allowed to do. <clears throat> um, I think that could be very instructive. One, it's, I know that baseball and, and the analysis of baseball uh, taught me a lot about the importance of um, uh, um, acquiring a proper sample sizes before before I make judgments, which can have profound effects. I would say profound effects on like how you live your life too. Oh yeah, um, because yeah. You, you're less prone to uh, to extremes, maybe extreme behavior. Think of not to interrupt, but think of how people will like review. I guess mostly restaurants or something online, right? Well, they'll go and have one good or bad experience, and that'll mean everything to them. Yeah, it's like well, actually, what are the odds? I'd like to I'd like to address that uh, momentarily too. <laughs> I have a, uh, there's a beautiful thing I've noticed about reviews. It might be a regional phenomenon. Uh, reviews on Yelp. I have something to say mm-hmm. with that. Um, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And just um, recognizing, I, I think it's helped me. Uh, it's helped me to deal with. Uh, I think in a in a very profound and personal way, it's helped me to manage anxiety. And I think that that's very positive. Uh, and I also think that. Uh, we're one to uh, to wax poetical. Uh, you, you you could um, you could find some you could say some things about how when we watch any sort of sport, but if, if baseball is your sport choice, you see the uh, human struggle 
played out in the form of a game, and it helps you to 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 digest it and comprehend it um, mm-hmm. in a way that you can't because life is even more complex. Uh, and then other days, I, I see maybe the amount of energy that others invest and that I certainly invest in a uh, in a totally fictional thing, <laughs> and I guess uh, and I get sad. <laughs> And I guess yeah, yeah. I don't even get sad on behalf of other people. Totally selfishly sad. And so I see, uh, I see it. Um, you know, it, I, I think it probably depends on mood how I feel about it that particular day. Yeah, it's always hard to tell for me where what's what's causative or where where the cause is. But there are days when I'll go and I'll think, wow, this is really fun. I'm going to try to discover something new about baseball. It's just it's like a scientific pursuit of this game. It's so much fun. There's all this freedom. In the job, this is exciting, and I feel like it keeps my brain sharp, which wards off early onset Alzheimer's, and hopefully also mm-hmm. late onset Alzheimer's. <laughs> all but the all the versions, <laughs> every every version of Alzheimer's. But then there are the days, and I'm increasingly coming to believe these are the days where I have slept insufficiently, where I'll wake up and I'll think, "Well, this is stupid. Who? <laughs> why does? Why is this my job?" And then I'll I'll just stare at the window from my chair and think, "I could be, well, I could be doing." Actually, I could, I'm trained to do almost nothing, so I right. could, my choices are to basically write about baseball or to die yeah. uh, here. Yeah, let's not, yeah, let's not get, don't get too optimistic about what, yeah. you, what else you could be yeah. doing. But there are those days, right, where your perspective shifts for whatever reason, and you mm-hmm. just think, this is an awful lot of stuff we do for a game. Yeah. I, I would tell you one thing about which I'm embarrassed, and I understand that there are actual diagnosed conditions that, um, that, that uh, correspond to this, but... I get very embarrassed when my mood is affected by the weather, and it is, and it is in a, in, in a pretty substan- substantial way. But it's uh-huh. still, I, I'm nonetheless, I'm embarrassed. On sunny mornings, I am a better person. Yeah. I really, I really think that I'm a better person. I, I approach my my work uh, with greater enthusiasm and cheer, and mm-hmm. also uh, I have a sense of optimism about uh, my life, and I'm more willing. Um, I'm more excited to, uh, to to greet people as I pass them in the streets, <laughs> and then on cloudy days, on cloudy days, I'm I'm so worthless. I'm a worthless guy, uh-huh. and uh, yeah. in a really again embarrassing way because all it is is there's just clouds. <laughs> That's the only thing that did it. And you think thousands of years of, uh, of intellectual tradition and. Uh, you do, combined with uh, you know the uh, advances in modern medicine, that you would not be you know uh, rendered uh, so so impotent as uh, as by the weather, but it happens. I find for me it doesn't really matter what the morning is. I'm also sensitive to the weather to some extent, but I find that I'm more sensitive to the time of day. Uh, and when I wake up in the morning, and I think, okay, today's going to be fine. I'll have my breakfast, delicious coffee, etc. Come upstairs, and then I'll think, okay, I'm going to write about something. Hopefully, I already have an idea, but sometimes I don't, and those are bad days. But then, I am, I'm a good person. I'm my, kind of my favorite version of me on a weekday is like morning Jeff, where it's like anything could happen. This could be. I have coffee. What could be better? And then it gets to be like almost lunchtime, and I think I'm sure I'm hungry for lunch. But then, if I'm still at my computer by like 7:30 at night, then I that's the worst version of me that I have ever observed yeah. i am if i am still writing and it is dark and i mean you know what the northwest is like so i mean it's dark here at by 3 30 now but if i'm still there and it's 
it's basically past a normal person's dinner time. Yeah. I am miserable. I just want to. I just want to kick things in my room. Yeah. The last thing I want to do is write more words about a sport that isn't going to be playing games for another four and a half months. <laughs> it's just, it is, it is really unpleasant. And yeah. it colors everything. It's so difficult to get out of that mindset once yeah. it sets in. All right. Well, let me let me bring up this point. I, this might be regional, and it, it, it might have to do with classrooms. But especially in New England, especially in New Hampshire, I have noticed an inordinate number of comments on Yelp regarding the quality of the service. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's really – it's as simple as the the waiter, the server, just was did, was, did not say hello <laughs> properly or something like that. And and the comments about – and it, this is probably – I'm going to guess it's in stark contrast to, to some of the comments you'd see in Portland, Oregon, for example, where uh, there's, a, there's a pretty strong tradition of uh, haute cuisine. Haute cuisine. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And yeah, that is what they call it in not this country. Yeah, right. Well, I don't know. Uh, uh, gastronomy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, of the molecular sort. Yeah, maybe I don't know, I, but no. that's something that people people know about. But uh, I live in a place where maybe it's like a, it's a little bit touristy during the summer and then nothing during the winter. And there's everyone's talking about service. <laughs> it's not even there are very few conversations about food. People are very worried about service. And that's all I wanted to say about that. Is it okay if I'm eating a tomato? Yeah. Alright. All right. You said so, you don't uh, you said you don't want early onset Alzheimer's or late onset Alzheimer's. I will say that what, all of the things I know, some of them by means of uh personal experience, people in my mm-hmm. life, some of them by uh only anecdotal or mm-hmm. maybe purely medical. Uh, Alzheimer's is a, Alzheimer's is dumb. I mean, it's a real jerky disease, uh, and, uh, people shouldn't get it. Uh, yeah, but no, they... do you have a, uh, this is like, this is like we're 15 years old, uh, smoking weed, uh, in like, uh, the cemetery, but, uh, type question. Mm-hmm. But do you, do you know how you want to die, Jeff? How I want to die? Yeah. Uh, I w- See what I want to say is I want to die when I'm I'm off doing some sort of adventure yeah. and maybe maybe I get trapped in a okay so I was reading I was re- I don't remember the last time I spoke but I was reading a book about these uh, expeditions to Denali uh, Mount McKinley in uh, in the 60s and uh, so basically if there's a book written about a mountain expedition it's because people died. And in this book, uh, the story was no different in that people Wait, died. Wait, there's no, like, it's like, uh, yeah, we got to the top, it was great, came back down, saw our families. <laughs> <laughs> well, so there's, there's a movie out that's called Maru, M-E-R-U, and it, uh, it has relatively famous people of Jimmy Chin, Conrad Anker. It's just, it's a triumphant, uh, mountain ascent movie. It's an independent film. It's, it's beautiful and inspiring, and it's rare in that nobody does die of the immediate climbing party, but there's still adversity and there's death and it's it's got its moments of darkness. Anyway, uh, what I've come to learn and what I think I always knew from I'm going to say Ethan Frome, but maybe that's a lie. But what I what I've come to learn is that dying on a mountain of cold is not horribly unpleasant. It's it's bad at first because you start to sting, but then if you if you get hypothermia and it becomes increasingly severe, you basically uh, have a, a painless, a cold, but a relatively painless uh, sleep into death 
And that yeah, wouldn't be a bad way to you, go. You become sort of delirious or something like that? Or yeah, you, you lose your faculties, you're stumbling, you're slurring, your core temperature is dropping quickly. And yeah. uh, interestingly, toward the toward the end, I guess we can say, when, you, when your core temperature gets to a low enough point, your body has this sudden flash burning sensation where people will actually frequently shed their clothes because they think that they're really hot, oh. even though they are somewhere very, very cold. And then that only accelerates things. But by that point... Yeah, maybe that's good. It's good that it accelerates yeah. things at that yeah. point. But yeah. you have so little sensation of what's actually happening to you in that case that that wouldn't be a, a bad way to go. The only reason I I hesitate yeah. is that if I'm dying doing some sort of extreme expedition like that, what that implies is that I'm probably still young enough to have wanted to go do that, and I'm not looking to die in the next, certainly, like, three years. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm open to it beyond that, but hopefully not until, like, the, the 80s or 90s or... I don't know. I don't know what normal is going to be when I'm old enough to die, but I guess I could. I could have died walking across the street to the market today to get batteries. You are. You are. We're all old enough to die. <laughs> well, I've never not been old enough to die. You don't need to cross the threshold. <laughs> that's uh. That's yeah. We're we're already there. Have you thought about how you want to die? You must have, or at least <laughs> you've thought about how you're going to die. Yeah. Yeah. I've already read your page. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, why does it say how I'm going to die? <laughs> I I think it it implies it's at least implicit, perhaps explicit, in the amount of time you've spent considering your own death. Yeah, I uh, you know I would like to die. Uh, not yeah, I would like not to have pain. I think that's mostly uh, it. I do. I would also not mind going through a period of uh, that sort of period that some people are. I think, in my opinion, are lucky enough uh, to have where. You have a terminal illness, but you're mm-hmm. f- you're fit enough to still uh, perform some sort of activities, and I would enjoy the freedom uh, that that would allow. So, what you want to be is retired. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess right. I would like there to, because if you if you're if you're uh, facing the ultimate consequence. Mm-hmm. I don't think that you're really nervous about any of the other ones. <laughs> I mean, I certainly wouldn't pay taxes or anything like that. Oh, God, no. If yeah. anything, I would just take other people's taxes. Yeah. Like, what, oh, what's, you're, the, yeah. what's the IRS going to take away from you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know. And, uh, yeah, I'd probably, uh, I'd probably, um, I don't know, make some, I'd probably make public statements. <laughs> That's what I would do. Use your your Twitter platform. Yeah, I guess I, even if even if the IRS is like, we, look, you have to come in for an audit, then you can just threaten back. Like, I, I there's a chance I'm going to die in your office. Is that something you're looking for? For my seven thousand dollars of tax you didn't get? Like, <laughs> I could just die in your chair as you're asking me questions about the places I've been and what I've spent. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to wheel a dead Carson Sestuli out of your office? I don't want to. Oh, I'm asking this question of others, someone else. Of, of somebody else, yeah. Because I I don't know how I would. You threatened with your own death. Wheel of the death, The inconvenience of your own death. Yeah. Or alternatively, unless I had his son and I named him Carson Sestouli and then he <laughs> died and then I wheeled him out of but that's dark though. That is dark. I think uh I think humans are generally programmed to be horrified right at the thought of their own uh their own children's death, right? Isn't it sort of just a part of it? Well, I can't speak from any experience. Well uh, I would I would Not, assume. You don't have any children, but I, haven't you heard? Haven't you based, heard that people? Based didn't? on all uh, apparent literature, it is uh, it is a universal yeah. truth. Well, I guess not all literature. There's there's some really bad people in jail. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And that so, uh, so, uh, service, service in restaurants is, so, uh, the other day, my girlfriend and I were walking around, and we were talking about... And you were like, girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, girlfriend, we got to go get us a rum cocktail. So we were talking about how we have had the conversation where we find it how is... How you want her to die. <laughs> <laughs> how would you like to die? I'm just taking notes. Yeah. Just, just brain. All right, all right, all right, all right. Oh, all we right, have the right. same idea. Okay, let's go do it. So we were having a conversation about how it seems like it's so infrequently actually worth the expense to go out and have a few drinks or to go have a meal. And, of course, there's something about the ambiance or the company or whatnot, but so frequently you can replicate or at least approximate a meal at home or you can even make your own cocktail or buy your own beer and, and have it at home. And you and I have talked about this before, but it's when you are paying the extra amount to go out, one of the things that you are paying for is you want at least to be treated like you are the most important person in the world, <laughs> and the the servers then have I to mean, put at up. The very least. And so you, the service then becomes one of the things you are purchasing, which I don't, I don't think that mediocre service should ever spoil a meal or the experience. But I can at least sympathize with why people think. Well, look, if I'm paying, let's assume this is a stupid Yelp writer. So if I'm paying thirteen dollars to go out for a meal, then I expect to be treated with smiles and attention. And, and kindness instead of this dismissiveness and only one's coming over to ask if everything is okay and uh, so if that is one of if that's one of the the values the extra values of going out as opposed to staying in and and having everything yourself then I can see how that means a lot to people because at the end of the day if they're if you're getting food from a restaurant or if you're having food at home this food is probably not going to taste that different unless you're having something extraordinary yeah. Although I will say the the other benefit to going out is that someone else makes the food for you, and uh-huh. I guess it, it, this is always going to depend on on the, the degree to which you are pleased by preparing your own meals, mm-hmm. how much pleasure you derive from it. But I don't. I unfortunately I'm not talented at all in that way, mm-hmm. and uh, and I don't. It's not very fun for me. It seems to me that there should be. Maybe there shouldn't be, but there could be an inverse relationship between the the quality and complexity of the food at a restaurant and then the importance of the service. Because if you're going to like a really high end place that like David Appleman likes to go to, then they'll train their their servers to be really really great. Because and knowledge, they're intended to be knowledgeable and knowledgeable, but they don't need to be, you know, because they could just bring you the food and they'll be like, this is this is going to blow you away, just need it, <laughs> and then you're going to be like, wow, I could never do this at home, and then you're going to be pleased. No matter what. Whereas, like, if you go to a, I don't know, what's a, what's a terrible restaurant? Let's just call it, let's just call it Applebee's. And then you go to the Applebee's, like, they sure as shit better come over with you, give you a smile and, like, maybe give you a free appetizer or something that they throw. I haven't been in App- Applebee's in my life, but yeah. you'll, you'll go and then you need to be treated well because the alternative is that you're just there contemplating the fact that you and your significant other and perhaps children have arrived at the conclusion that what would be a good time spent for a loving family, or at least couple, is yeah. that you went to Applebee's to get endless appetizers. Maybe that's Chili's. Maybe is there a difference? Do they own one another? It doesn't matter. Uh, they the occupy a, a similar mental space, I think. Right. Yeah. So uh, then you you need to have good service because otherwise you can go home and you can eat a stick of butter on your own and you don't need to pay anything for it. I, I guess you need to pay something for it, but less than you pay in the restaurant. Yeah. But again, they will make the food for you at Applebee's. 
Yeah, but I mean, how long does it take to make a steak? Ten minutes? <clears throat> I mean, you may. I'm not capable of making a steak. So, to me, it's it, to me it's basically magic. The whole okay, thing. but they're not capable of making steak either. <laughs> Still, they sell it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, how about this? <clears throat> if I uh, if I get food poisoning after preparing my own steak, <laughs> I have only myself to blame. Whereas if I get it after Applebee's, uh, then uh, well, actually, I don't know really what legal recourse I have at that point. Well, you know what? Fun life hack. Okay, so I. I there's two is life hacks. Fun, I have. Is this a fun fact? <laughs> this is a fun life hack, not oh. fun fact. Oh, okay. So, okay, life fact number one, I was thinking of this yesterday. You know how much water we could save by not directly washing our feet in the shower? Because, look, the water in the soap just goes down your body anyway. You don't need to wash your feet. But life hack wait, more do pertinent. You, wait a second. Do you actually wash your feet? Uh, every so often I get the, the thinking that I should if I, like, come back from the climbing gym because the climbing shoes are so disgusting on the okay. inside. But. If I don't make I don't make a point of it because no that's a waste of water and my time and my time is better spent not washing my feet. Yeah, I don't think you've hacked anything by the way. Okay, <laughs> look, it's a potential life hack to those who spend their time washing their feet. But anyway, other life hack, you know, no there's no restaurant to my knowledge or experience ever follows up with a food poisoning complaint. So you can you can issue one and they will be sympathetic and they will be trusting and they will oftentimes give you something in return for what can often be a lie that you told to them to get yeah. free stuff from them yeah. i uh, i got sick coming back from washington dc once i was like an espionation corporate meeting or something years ago and i got food poisoning and i was home and i had food poisoning still and i was trying to think of what i ate but the most convenient thing i could think of was i'm not going to file a complaint to a restaurant that's washington dc specific i'm going to complain about a starbucks where i did get like a a coffee and probably a scone or a sandwich or something. I don't know. But I called up Starbucks and I complained that I had food poisoning. Granted, I did have food poisoning. But <laughs> then they were like, oh, we're we're sorry. Yeah. Something, something, something. And they wound up sending me like four or five free somethings in the mail. And they never they never followed up. They just asked when it happened and what I had. And I realized even if I didn't have food poisoning, I could have just gotten free from Starbucks. And it would have been – I mean, it still would have been Starbucks. But it's well, better than what free. What, what what could have possibly given you food poisoning that you well, would have bad spoiled <laughs> milk or something? It's the I think I probably had like a sausage egg and cheese sandwich or something. So there's oh, some okay. sort so of component was, there that I could have done. Yeah, right. But more realistically, the last time I had food poisoning, I'm pretty sure it's because I didn't wash my own Swiss chard, and so I actually poisoned myself. Uh, but then I couldn't complain to anyone about that except for uh, my my girlfriend. Yeah. What were you like? What are you like, girlfriend? <laughs> I am throwing up in your bathroom. <laughs> Nothing says I love you like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I slept. I spent that night in her. I came over. I came over feeling fine. Oh. And then twenty minutes later, this is before we lived together. I came over and I felt fine. Twenty minutes later, I was like, uh oh. And then, uh, then I disappeared yeah. for a little bit. And then I thought it was all fine. Then I, uh, then we went to bed. And then about 20 minutes later, I thought, uh-oh. And then uh, I... Do you have it coming out of... How many ends do you have it coming out of? Uh, would you Look, say both? More, more than none <laughs> and fewer than more than I have. <laughs> I, uh, I, when I eventually awoke, I, was, I spent the night delirious, but I awoke and there was, there was a mat laid down in the bathroom that I was curled over the toilet and then I fell asleep. And uh, I apparently had thrown up on this bath mat as well, and I didn't know what to do with it because we didn't know each other that well at the time. So I just curled it up and left it in the bathroom. And uh, much to her surprise, when when she awoke and and I neglected to tell her about it, a little bit vomity, huh? I had to unfurl the mat. 
<laughs> uh, you know, I don't actually, think she ever pushed it. I think she just threw it away. The only time I've ever uh, vomited due to drinking was in your city, Portland, Oregon. Is that so? Yeah, there well, was, a, it was your city before mine. Yeah, there was a. There used to be a martini, a martini bar on the northwest side, mm-hmm. called something Bean. Um, well, I don't know. It's gone now. It was gone even by the time that I left. But um, I happened to know one of the bartenders there. And uh, he said, oh, you should come, uh, you know, out tonight with some friends. And I think it was really the first time that I'd ever, like, sat down to drink martinis. Mm-hmm. And I was not entirely aware of how powerful they could be. <laughs> and I, I feel like maybe after one martini, uh, you just feel you feel good. You feel fine. And then I think that I – well, I ordered a second and then uh, – I think it might have been like I had the second and then ordered the third, but I stood up to to use the restroom at somewhere in between, and I realized precisely how impaired I was. Uh, and, then, and then after that, we went to another bar, and um, which is right, which is very close by, and uh, I got us kicked out of that bar <laughs> uh, for uh, behave <laughs> for misbehaving. I was well. I was refused service, and therefore we had to leave. Is what I wanted. And then after being refused service, I attempted to. Uh, we were sitting at a table. I went up to the bar and I attempted to argue my way back into service. Uh-huh. And it turns out, I was not very. It was not a very convincing <laughs> argument because I didn't. My faculty of speech was compromised. Yeah. And if you were yeah. attempting to persuade someone that you're not drunk, uh, that's uh, speaking poorly and drunkenly is. Speaking, speaking is where you get into trouble. So you have to try to convince them without talking at all. Yeah. Well, my my body language apparently did, did not compensate for it. And okay, then uh, a, go ahead. No, and then there's another. We went to another bar uh, through the windows of which you could look into the first bar that we had visited, <laughs> and uh, the people who had just refused me service could see me drinking in another bar. Uh, and I'm trying to think. It's all along that one street there, uh-huh. 25th or 23rd. Mm-hmm. Um, that sound familiar? Those places? Yeah, twenty third, busy street. Twenty fifth, twenty third. Twenty third, twenty fifth, not not busy street. Not as busy. Twenty first. Twenty first, definitely as well. Twenty first and twenty third are the nightlife streets over there. Okay, yeah. Well, it was on one of those streets, looking from one bar into the other. A few weekends ago, uh, my girlfriend and I were coming back from Utah. Girlfriend. Just, like, <laughs> Sorry. It's such a dumb word to say. I'll it's, just I'm just gonna say wife. It's all. Uh, it's yeah, a wife is wife is a lot. I mean, wife is better. Uh, partner's also tough, too, because it's ambiguous. How about this? I was coming back from Utah. It doesn't okay. matter. The company is not How about lady friend? Do you, do you, how do you feel about that? A woman I've seen naked on more than one occasion, <laughs> and I was flying back from Utah. And we were flying southwest on the way back, and, uh, and we got onto – we had a connection, so we got off the plane. We got back on the plane in San Jose, and as we boarded the plane, we, uh, we sat down, as you do, and then two older women came in, and they were very – I, I don't want to – loud conveys the wrong impression, but they were speaking loudly. And uh, they were in an animated, enthusiastic manner, and they were women. I don't know how else to describe them yeah. uh, for it to come across, but it's what I imagine is like a stereotypical woman who goes – older woman who goes wine tasting in Napa, like that kind of cougar. Okay. Kind of woman. okay. <laughs> I think that puts a good enough idea in your mind. And there's yeah, two got, yeah. Yeah, two, two good friends, uh, middle-aged women who were – it was increasingly apparent that they were drunk, presumably on wine, presumably from the airport, because the airport has a wine bar 
uh, right by the gate. Yeah. Do you think that they, uh, would you, in any version of, of your life, would you uh, describe them as succulent wild women? Uh, well, I did uh, in that occasion too with my girlfriend, but then she didn't appreciate the uh. sentiment that I felt. So they sat down actually the row behind us, and uh, then they were talking what I thought was in a friendly way with the stewardess, but then flight attendant, I'm sorry, but then increasingly became clear that it, uh, the flight attendant was annoyed uh, by them, and she was like, I have to go attend to something else. Uh, I'll yeah. talk to you. And so the flight attendant goes away, and then the two women continue talking very excitedly and drunkenly behind uh, us. Yeah. And uh, the, the suspense is killing me with the, this story. The and, and they they start to get a little quieter. And then the pilot comes on the intercom and he's like, okay, hey, sorry, we're a few minutes late. just have to finish some paperwork and then we're going to leave the gate. And then a very large man, a very large man in a Southwest polo shirt or something comes down the aisle. And he comes to the, the row of seats behind us and he, he talks to him and says, uh, excuse me, yeah. uh, you're going to have to come with me off the plane back to the terminal or something. And they're like, oh, but what did we do? And he's like, uh, I'll tell you when you're off the plane. They're like, but what did we do? And he's like, I'll tell you when you're off the plane. Yeah. They're like, but what did we do? And he's like, I'll tell you when you're off the plane. Yeah. But what did we? And it just, it went on like this. It was kind of like a, I know you are, but what am I situation yeah. with children? Where a very large, I didn't know Southwest had bouncers, but apparently they have at least one in San Jose airport. And he was like, no, you have to. You have to come off the plane. It took probably three or four minutes of convincing, saying the same thing over and over again uh-huh. to get them to come off the plane. And I think it dawned on one of them that clearly they were they must have been drunk or something. But one, I didn't I didn't look at them. I didn't make eye contact. Uh, the three of us in the row were all trying very hard to look like we were intensely concentrating on our phones so that we weren't making eye contact with yeah. with the situation taking place just inches behind us. And uh, but you were still I mean, wrapped wrapped with attention. Oh, we were right? we were all engrossed. We were all making eye contact. The three of us were making eye contact with one another, being like, "What the hell is going on?" This is and uh, this is finally. Great. I love stuff. They got like, the yeah. they got their luggage, and as they were walking off the plane, one of the women said to the other, "You know what? My ex husband is a pilot, and I bet this is a, because of him." And then they left, and I the lingering thought that I had was, "What <laughs> kind of paranoia, or what's the sentiment that you think your ex husband?" Did he like put you on a no fly list or something because the divorce was that bitter? Wow. I don't know. I don't know what. That would be a certain type of a level of commitment though for an angry spouse. <laughs> I think if I were a pilot and I were divorced bitterly, that would be fantastic, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if she was, her concern was justified, but they were not allowed back on the plane. They must have, and it was the last flight of the day, so they must have just spent the night somewhere in the San Jose airport slash drunk tank if they have one, but they were. They were removed, and I did not realize you could be removed from a flight for non-obscene drunkenness because I assumed that most of the people – we flew southwest leaving Las Vegas to get to San Jose to come back to Portland. I assume most people who get on the southwest plane in Las Vegas are drunk, and so I didn't know. Maybe they were just conspicuously drunk. Well, I think if you keep your drunkenness to yourself, right, it's fine. Uh But if you make it somebody else's problem, this is the difference. Yeah, I get it, but I mean, they did kind of quiet down. I wasn't complaining that they were removed because ultimately it's not my problem, yeah, and I don't like having people sit behind me on airplanes anyway. But I was, I was surprised. You I don't know if people it would have sitting been behind you on airplanes. I mean, if I have my druthers, I'm the only one on the airplane, right? But uh, if I can, if I have my way, first of all, I want no one beside me, and then I'd rather have someone in front of me instead of behind me. What about your girlfriend? Yeah, when she's around, she's fine. Although, ideally, again, she's two seats away, and we have an empty middle seat. Oh, (laughs) that's good thinking. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, look at that. No, I'm with you. 
I, uh... Have you been to Utah? No, I haven't. What do huh? I, uh... Uh, no, no, not to stay in, not to stay in it. I was one time there, uh, but uh, because when you live in Missoula, Montana, which is a place I did live, mm-hmm. it was um, <clears throat> you gotta you gotta go through Salt Lake a lot uh, to get to places. So that's my information. Yeah, that's all the information I got. <laughs> Does that help uh, you? Yeah, did I? Did I know you lived in Missoula? I'm asking you. Did I know that you lived in Missoula? Uh, it makes sense. You've, Possibly you've you traveled were. the corridor. You've been in Portland. You've been in Madison. You've been in Missoula. Uh, what's left? Oh, right. There's a lot of places left. Yeah. A lot yeah. of the world. No, you, yeah, well, much of the world. Uh, well, yeah, you, I lived you, in Missoula for three years. Yeah. Yeah. You've lived in some of the world, which is not unlike everybody else. Yeah, it's hard to live in uh, a lot of the world, I think. Because mm-hmm. I can tell you, my wife and I have never lived in one place for more than three years, and we still have barely been anywhere. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, it's, it's overwhelming if you start thinking about wanting to travel to a place you've never been. Ugh, yeah. There's so many, there's all these dumb continents, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, all, it's also so easy to be dismissive if you're like, well, I've been to Argentina, so now we don't need to go back to South America. So, well, that's not fair. Yeah. I was talking <laughs> to like... someone, someone recently. I recently stayed in Airbnb in uh, Providence, yeah. Rhode Island. Uh-huh. And uh, the gentleman with whom I was staying, a nice young man, uh, was telling me about uh, he had visited Bolivia mm-hmm. and stayed in a, a city there that uh, I'm going to forget. But it doesn't really matter. The point was he was like, it's was the best thing, and he, he described it, and I had to agree with him. The, the thing he was describing sounded amazing, <laughs> the time he had there. It's just a beautiful uh-huh. time, it seemed, seemed like he had. He just, uh, you know, he, he met a lot of local people, and maybe it was Sucre, Sucre, Sucre. Uh, yeah. Sucre. Have you been to Sucre? Yeah. I, have, I have not been to Sucre. He, Corey, this guy, <laughs> at least, and he was, a, he was not necessarily, he wasn't, you know, he's, he didn't care if I go or not, but... uh uh, given his description, Sucre is uh, one of the very best places to visit. That's that's my conclusion. I'll be damned. Okay. Well, you know what? I always wa- I already wanted to go to Bolivia anyway because of the uh, the salt flats. Although it would be silly to go to a place specifically just because of the salt flats. He talked. Uh, he he talked about the salt flats too. Yeah. He said they're beautiful. I I bet they are. They flood in the summer, maybe, and then or whatever. I don't know. They flood yeah. at one point, and then they're very dry, and then they flood, and then they're dry. It sounded great. Yeah, there's one of those in in Oregon. Uh, we talked about it before. It's, yeah, I don't want to uh, talk about over it in Oregon. Southeast Oregon. Yeah, yeah, no big deal. Don't worry about it. But, <laughs> but look the, how worldly you are when you discuss Bolivia. Right. Well, one thing you said about about Bolivia, and uh, I don't know how many other countries this applies to. He said that uh, they don't export goods or import goods. Really, it's basically whatever you are consuming or using. It is a from it is from Bolivia. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's interesting to me. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, I don't know. There's, I don't have any other interesting way. But you you're in a place. It feels like maybe it intensifies, it magnifies your experience of the place, right? Mm-hmm. You feel you go to a different uh, country, <clears throat> and all of the products there, and the, the 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 goods are from that country. You feel as though you are very much experiencing that place. Not, uh, that's nice. Yeah, I like it. I like that a lot of the uh, the Spanish-speaking countries in Central and South America will uh, almost exclusively have their own beers. 
Oh, yeah. And, I mean, they're all basically versions of the, every other country's beer, so it's not like there's that much distinguishing characteristic, but at least that way you get to feel like you came away from a country and you had their beer, which is yeah. which is nice. And then I'm at, I guess in Bolivia, you kind of take that to the nth degree and you have the Bolivian everything, for better or worse. I guess so, yeah. yeah sometimes worse, maybe. Yeah, I wonder yeah, how many countries know. operate like that. I know Bhutan is super isolated in, in a way similar to that. Yeah, East Germany, when it existed. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Wait. When you went on your uh, tour there, climbing those mountains, what did you? Which? What countries did you visit? In uh, in South uh, America. Yeah, like a year or two ago. Uh, Chile and Argentina. Chile and Argentina. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We talked about that. Oh god, those states are so long. Look at that. <laughs> Chile is very, very thin, and I've been reading quite a bit about uh, uh, Bogota, Colombia, and one of its mayors, Enrique Peña Peñalosa. Peña Rosa. Mm-hmm. Is this familiar to you? No. Oh. Not uh, even a little bit. Well, I know uh, what Colombia is. Yeah. He, uh, I don't think he's mayor anymore, but, uh, he was quite revolutionary in terms of how he, um, uh, uh treated travel, uh, travel, transportation within, within it. Uh, because there was a lot of money that was being, there, and maybe it's still the case, being dedicated to, um, uh, road, um, you know, road, uh, maintenance, et cetera. And uh, road construction, but I think uh, less than or about to only 20% of people in the city own cars. Uh, so it was a sort of a misappropriation of funds, you could say. Mm-hmm. And uh, he designed a bus that he refers to as the sexy bus. It's like lipstick mm-hmm. red, and uh, it gets its own lane on the, on a lot of the busy avenues. So you, you're you're on this you're on this bus, and you're going way faster than all the people in the private cars. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's all I gotta say about that. Is that I know the one thing about Colombia. <laughs> have you uh, have you had occasion to watch Narcos on Netflix? No, I haven't. But I uh, well, I don't remember who was telling me about it, but a person I know. I mean, for all I know, it could have been me. I don't know if we were talking. I so no. seldom talk about shows, but yeah, I would I would highly recommend it because I didn't really know much about the history of, of Pablo Escobar in yeah. Colombia and the history of of the the cartels. But uh, yeah, it it taught me a lot. And granted. Uh, Older listeners will be probably more familiar with the story as it was playing out in real time, but I, I only really knew the name and a little of the stuff. So it's it keeps to the the truth very closely, and it's a very engaging. It's an engaging narrative, huh? Dark, dark show that mm. it is not for some people, but yeah, it taught me a lot. That's, That's got Luis Guzman in it. Oh yes. Yeah. <clears throat> Luis Guzman, he's been around. Yeah. He's had some roles. He's a working yeah. actor. Maybe, yeah, uh, maybe yes. a little bit more than that. That is a not illegitimate description of Luis Guzman. He's been around as a working actor. He's been in some things. Yeah, he's been in some things. But no, it's uh, yeah. Congratulations, to, uh, Luis Guzman. <laughs> he doesn't care that I think what I think. Yeah. Oh, I know what it was. It was O'Brien's mm. I got kicked out of, and then we went over to North Forty Five. Mm. Oh, North Forty Five. That's on the east side. No. I must no. have moved. No, it's at the, it's on Hoyt and Northwest Twenty First, or in between oh, Hoyt wrong, and Gleason right. and Northwest Twenty First. Right, wrong bar. I'm thinking and I believe from one. O'Brien's, if I'm not mistaken, you look you can look into no from North Forty Five. You can look into O'Brien's, hmm. and this these were right around the corner. These bars from from the bar that was called the Brazen Bean. I've remembered in the meantime. Okay, that's I don't like that name. That was not in Gleason and Twenty First Avenue. Huh? Well, Joel Strong worked there. Joel Strong was a bartender. Uh, while I think he while he was going to law school, or at least he was maybe he was raising money to go to law school, and uh, 
Yeah, I drank there and went around the corner to O'Brien's. Uh, was refused service um, because of the way I was using English, which is the only language I know. <laughs> and uh, apparently, I was rendered uh, speechless even in that language. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh huh. And so then we just went over to North Forty Five. And I believe again at North Forty Five, you can look into O'Brien's. There are the, the the buildings adjoin each other, but instead of a wall, I mean, there is a wall, but there's also windows. Um, you could see into the other bar. Uh, this so was it, how many years ago? Six. There's a hell of a specific memory you have of an experience where you were so drunk that many people would have forgotten it entirely. <clears throat> oh, yes. That's how I was continuing. Only time I've ever thrown up from drinking. And, uh, well, I might have said this before, but not for a while. I, I had had, uh, I had had, uh, a friend was visiting. And I had uh, I had had borscht earlier in the day, <laughs> so all my vomit was a was a, was a distressing uh, purple pink color. And then uh, I told a friend about what happened uh, the other day. I texted him. I said, "Oh, it did not work out well after we after I left you." And uh, he wrote me back a text that said, "It was the best of times. It was the borscht of times." <laughs> Is that that's amu- that's amusing, right? That's a good well, one. That's amusing. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, I like that too. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so that happened. Um, you know, yeah. And I did. I woke up with a very with a bad hangover, and I, I didn't. That didn't feel good. No. Yeah. I don't know. All right, good story. Hey, you you the other, you took a you took a Monday off recently, I believe. Yeah, you? that was uh, we were in Utah. That was oh, that you trip. were in Utah. What the hell are you doing in Utah? Oh, we wanted to go take a little. It's sort of like a brief anniversary trip, but also just trying not to get stir crazy up in the Northwest and sort of celebrating also the end of the baseball season a few weeks after the fact. So we uh, we went to Zion, we went to Bryce Canyon, and we went to Red Rocks just mm-hmm. over the course of basically three days, and it's insufficient to spend just. A few hours in each of those parks because they're all spectacular in their own ways. But Utah has an awful lot going on, uh, nature-wise. It is a spectacular place to visit. Nature-wise, what do you think about the hyphen-wise um, construction of the adverb? I don't love it, but it is certainly easy to get to if you don't know the actual words that you want to use. Like, yeah, I don't the, think you would have said naturally there. That's not what that means. No, yeah. no. But you you've explained before a long time ago that you admired Dane. Uh, for his command of the English language, you figure that he has like Greg Maddox like command of of the yeah, words he wants to use. He's very precise. Yeah, I think and, he is uh, precise. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I would I agree with you. I wouldn't have said nature wise. Uh, I would have had to find a whole different construction. Maybe I mean, in writing it would have come, but in spoken English, I would not have had the access to it. Right. I mean, you could go clunkier and longer and say like in terms of its landscapes, but then that's just adding to the sentence. With regard to its landscapes. Uh, that was a good accent of somebody I'm not familiar with. Yeah, I, like a uh, dead English person. <laughs> well, I was actually thinking about that voice before because because uh, your your email address it it does not say Jeff it says Jeffrey. Yes. And every time I say th- I see the name Jeffrey I think Jeffrey <laughs> Jeffrey. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> it's, it's Although like I think. A- the spell it's of the not, GEO. It's not a name that you say. It's like you don't you don't speak the word. The the word is a a gust of air, I think, out of your lungs to, your <laughs> to say to say Jeffrey and yeah in the proper way. And maybe that's that's a lot of like that that haughty old that haughty old English. That proper English is like you are your sentences are gusted forth from from your chest. Yeah, as opposed to just being uttered. Uttered is a very American like Americans utter words. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, I like that. I like that word "utter." By the way, yeah. to utter utterance. Yeah. I like the word utterance. Big, uh-huh. really love the word utterance. Yeah, yeah. Can can a person murmur, or is it only a room or an audience, like a crowd of people? Can there be a murmur, or can you murmur? He was murmuring when he. He was mur- he was just murmuring something. Yeah, murmur. Yeah, adults yeah. can murmur. Kind of like I don't know why. Adults <laughs> just can like, murmur. <laughs> so it's it's similar to to mutter. You can mutter uh, or muttering. Or so you certainly you mutter, and frequently when you mutter, you you mutter under your breath, don't you? He muttered under his breath. Murmuring implies mm. to me sort of like a slurred mutter, but I don't know if that's just onomatopoeia because of the murmur and the slur. They sound similar. Well, one thing I can tell you uh, is uh, without. A doubt is that the word barbarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, barbarian. I don't know what you sort of call this, but it's a it's a word that derives from the sounds bar bar, which is how the Romans, or maybe it's a Greek. It's originally a Greek word. That's how they felt about uh, the sort of uh, people living in the more rural areas in the outskirts of the empire. They the referred, hinterland. Yeah, sure. They they just made a sound like bar 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 bar, <laughs> and the barbarians are literally those people who make the sound bar 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 when they talk. And what's funny about it now is because you have that same bar bar construction in the word barbarian, except then you pronounce the a's differently in the word. It's not a barbarian. It's a oh, barbarian. Oh yeah, it's a yeah. barbarian. Yeah, that's a good point. It's strange. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, language is is truly a is truly a wonderful thing to study. <laughs> I think that these podcasts, you can argue that they appeal to either a very broad audience or an audience that doesn't exist at all. Yes. It, it's, it's Here, actually, gotta... I'll tell you that uh, if we, we can perform some meta-analysis, meta-analysis huh. on the, the podcast, the program, is I, I think of this as a sort of um, – uh, there, there, are, there are certain people who uh, will, div- will become upset that it is not – um, entirely dedicated to to baseball analysis, right? Mm-hmm. I think of it as sort of uh, you, uh, what, maybe you've experienced this recently. I know that when I travel somewhere, all of a sudden my uh, imagination becomes more productive, right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm not just physically like I'm not I'm not exposed to the same sort of uh, spaces that mm-hmm. I have been uh, t- that I am typically, and uh, so I begin thinking new thoughts because I'm under the influence of these new physical spaces. Um, I think of these uh, conversations as essentially um, a way to disturb, in a positive way, the, the mind and thoughts. Mm-hmm. It produce. It's essentially we're producing raw material uh, that maybe when you turn back towards writing and the contemplation of uh, the pastime, baseball, uh, mm-hmm. then you might uh, you might look at it uh, with fresh eyes. So then, for whose benefit would you consider these podcasts? Uh, <coughs> I don't. Excuse me. Uh, well, you ideally your benefit <laughs> if that's possible. Uh, well, I quite enjoy them. I, yeah. I enjoy, but I also would. Enjoy I think there are. I think there are a the number phone. of our readers, Jeff, who are who are interested in you. Okay, and I think that um, they enjoy the, uh, your imagination, and I think that they like, and I think that they're. Intrigued by, I, I think they are excited about the opportunity uh, to see you uh, delighting yourself with your own thoughts. Well, I mean, usually I don't invite people to observe me delighting myself. <laughs> it's it's funny. I I've, I think probably uh, I would estimate maybe a hundred a hundred twenty times uh, an hour. Mm-hmm. I think that I have become less interesting. 
I find that my writing, I, I think, is less interesting than it's ever been. And I think this every single day, every single week, every month, every year, where mm-hmm. I think that I, I had reached some sort of like imagination and eloquence peak. And now it feels like so many articles are, are just twisted the same theme of like, all right, here's this analysis, here's this analysis, here's this situation, here's a table, here's a plot, here's a gif, whatever. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know if that's good or bad. I ultimately I can't care too much because it's my job and I have to keep doing it. So it doesn't really matter as long as there are people who are reading and not, not outright calling for my dismissal from the role. But it is, it's one of those things where ever so often I'll just read, you know, you know, hate reading. You hate love read somebody else's thing that's just really creative and you think, well, that's, that's clearly great and I am no longer or never have been capable of that. You might be familiar with the sensation. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Of course. Yeah. And uh, I think also. I don't know what I think anymore. I used to feel more flexible. Like uh, I oh, used no, to no, think. Oh, I have an idea. I have an idea. Yeah. It's go. just occurred to me. Is um, right. So the uh, and I remember this is actually one of the first sort of concerns I had when when I began writing for the site. Right. Um, is what about watching the game? <laughs> could could prove to be so delightful. And I remember speaking about this with Ken Arneson. You you familiar with Ken? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was he, he was a big time blogger when I just started. Yeah, and he's a uh he's good at uh he he's particularly good at uh um looking at the game uh, with a sort of interdisciplinary eyes, if that makes sense. And I think at one point he was particularly interested in neuroaesthetics, mm-hmm. uh which is the uh you know, of course, scientific uh, examination of the brain. Examination of the brain and why uh, why we react, why we're pleased by certain, by anything, by any sort of stimulus, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there, there has to be a com- combination of patterns with which we're familiar and then deviations from those patterns, right? That's not the entire formula, but it's part of the formula. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it we were talking about tim lincecum's delivery at that point or his his change up in particular and this is when tim lincecum was at the very peak of his abilities and you would watch his change up and it was that sort of pitch where he could he could alert the batter to the fact that he was about to throw his change up and the batter would you know most likely still be helpless right that sort of pitch because of Mm -hmm. how because of the degree to which the pitch in some ways resembled other pitches but then uh, also deviated from those patterns, from those, mm-hmm. from the, you know, showed marked differences from that, from that, um, those easily identifiable things. And, uh, and, uh, I think that that is, when you're writing, right, like at some level, you're trying to surprise your own self. And, um, but the more you write, of course, um, the more you become accustomed to your own voice and it's diff- more difficult to escape. So I would say mm-hmm. you've probably become, you probably continue to be a better writer because you continue to ask questions and continue to attempt to surprise yourself, but it's also more difficult to surprise yourself. So maybe you that, actually, even as you're a better writer, you, de- you derive less pleasure from it. That's probably not untrue. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you, hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I, things, things are more difficult to write now than I think they've ever been, and of course there are exceptions. Like if you write about I don't know Darren O'Day, that's that's easy to write. Darren O'Day is good. Here's why you're yeah. done. Yeah. But I think the average post is more difficult because the 
the inclination is always there. Even if it's a familiar standing post, you want to write the post in a way that you haven't written it before and in some in some new novel way. And sometimes that is impossible. Sometimes it is possible, but it takes an awful lot of work. And it's just harder than ever to sit down and just write a post starting from nothing in an hour and a half. Where I used to be at a job, uh, a chemistry job, and then I would take a lot of my time to come write about baseball instead at my job. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I would do for fun because I wanted to do it, and it came pretty easily. And granted... The writing back then was different than than the writing now, yeah. but it was still it was still baseball writing quickly, energetic for fun, and I always wanted to do it. And that was before it was work, and of course now it's work, and that just brings its own associations and and whatnot. But it's I guess when you've done it long enough, and for God's sake, you've been writing long enough, even if not about baseball, it's just it's interesting, even if it's navel gazing to examine the changes that have taken place within yourself and how you think about your writing. Over the course of a decade or two decades. In conclusion. In conclusion, ever so often somebody will email me, and this usually comes through the community blog, and someone will be looking for for tips on how to become a a professional writer or just how to follow the course that you know a lot of us have followed, where we've wound up through some means writing about baseball for work. This is what we literally do to live. And people are like, that sounds like the dream. How did you do it? And then the response I have, first of all, is, well, the landscape has changed in the last 13 years since I started. There's a lot more people writing about baseball, and I was fortunate to start at a good time. But also, write all the time, even when you don't want to, and then see how you feel about that. Yeah. And uh, I told that to someone, the most recent person I told that to. Like I was telling him, just write a lot, force yourself to write, find your voice, Etc. And he, he wrote me back. He was he sounded very enthusiastic about wanting to do this. I think he was actually in high school. And he wrote me back not not a week later, saying, "So I find that I don't I don't want to write that much. I don't have. It's hard for me to write. And it's like it's been a week, dude. Like you should be <laughs> you should be loaded with ideas. You should want to write all the time. You should be ready to do it all the time. And if you if you're already struggling and you're a week in to this, it's yeah. like I don't want to be discouraging. But maybe this isn't for you." Not yeah. maybe not yet. Yeah, you uh yeah. Yeah. Um I guess yeah. I not I don't know if anyone is uh interested in my own um I'm curious. But uh of course uh um my my interests uh, previous to, to joining the site were um were in creative writing. Uh, I and uh, the poems there, which is really writing without um, at any purpose whatsoever. There's lit- there's no end. It's all means. <laughs> you you say this is I like the thing you wrote. It, it solves no problems. And in fact, uh, the sheer uh, volume of creative writing that exists creates pro- creates problems mm-hmm. um, because it's uh, so dull and you have to wade through it. But um, so yeah, so uh, I was uh, I was attempting to delight myself. I guess, <laughs> and then also was very excited at the same time about the sport, um, and so that's uh, so usually I'm attempting to to amuse myself when I write. How often, when you write, do you find that you are writing through what I would best describe as maybe a disinclination to be doing it? Well, it's a little bit different, right? Because you do, you on most days you write two analytical pieces. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know some of them it just by 
virtue of the sheer volume that you're producing, like you'll take up like a simple problem sometimes, right? You like mm-hmm. you'll document Craig Kimbrell throwing a changeup, and you're like, he Which did. Awesome, by the way. <laughs> you're like he did, and then yeah. uh, look, it's there, it's done. So you're right. You're not. This is not. Uh, you know, like of course, uh, our managing editor Dave Cameron writes posts sometimes like the top 50 or a series of posts, like, you know, top 50 players by trade value, mm-hmm. right? Which really, I think, f- probably gets at the meat of what the the sort of core of the site, right, is mm-hmm. uh, sort of analytical in nature and attempting to understand the value of players in the market. Uh, you know, in that context, uh, Craig Kimbrell throwing, it was like two, just two change-ups, wasn't it? Or at least two it was change-ups. A, yeah. First two of his life. Right. And you know that's a that's a relatively small thing in comparison, but you know you can probably amuse yourself doing it. Uh, but for me, like you know during the regular season, I'm just writing the like those daily nerd scores, and that's only like three sentences really, so it's, it's a little <laughs> bit less difficult. And then I've taken on I've done more editing recently, which I actually really enjoy because I can focus on the sentence level. But mm-hmm. anything more than a paragraph is a uh, uh, very intimidating. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people are better at it though. You're pretty good at it. It's, it's still, it's you think yeah. like, oh, what's a what's a career? Oh, you mean oh this again for another 35 years? That's oh yeah. To think of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, just, I think that's any job, right? You look into the distance and you say, so I'm keeping myself alive so that I can come <laughs> back to do this. That's uh that's that's um, it's difficult. If you had no okay. expenses, though, Jeff, uh-huh. you ever considered having no expenses? Uh, so I think about it because I I've used so m- much of my expenses on assembling like pretty good backpacking gear, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, double, which doubles as I'm homeless gear. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. It, it, well, it it doubles as this is your emergency relief gear, and it yeah. triples as hey, you're homeless, which I guess qualifies as a, as an emergency. Right. Uh, you this is how you live now, but yeah, I've I've thought about. How you know you'll have a politician every so often talk about how there should be a a standard basic living wage for everybody, and then you can earn beyond that. Right. Vagabond's wait. Vagabond's wage. Vagabond's wage. Yeah. Are you familiar with that? The Bertrand Russell vagabond. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, I'm into it. I'll take it. I promise I won't try and earn any more money. (laughs) I'll walk everywhere. I want that vagabond's wage. Yeah, I'm for it, and then I can not. Uh, I, then I can do what I want, and I'm. I think neither neither you nor I are driven in in almost any way by money or the accumulation of such. You need enough to live, and hopefully enough to live in whatever level of modest comfort you live in. But you know, neither one of us, I would say, is characterized by ambition. No, at least not financially. You might be characterized by cultural ambition or, or traveling. Ambition, or just the ambition of having a sustaining, loving relationship with a partner, or, or if you're lucky, several of them, or at least a non-violent but, one. <laughs> or <laughs> because the, the every every one. night I go to bed, I look over at my wife, and I don't know, she just has that look like she might do me in before. <laughs> today's, before. today's the day. Yeah, Stooly. she might give me a was it an Italian necktie? Are you familiar with that maneuver? Uh, no, not intimately. Uh, I think that's where you. Uh, you slit someone's throat and you pull their their tongue out through it. Oh my goodness! I don't know think that's I don't think it's a real thing, but I'm I'm upset. But Ryan Frew told me about that in third grade. Yeah, Ryan, spell that last name. F R E W. 
Oh, it is a real thing. Never mind. I've just Googled oh. it, and I would okay. suggest other people don't. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. It's also called maybe a C- Sicilian necktie. Hey. Hey. Oh, Here's my. a question for you. Unrelated. I don't want to look up those images, but I know I'm going to. Don't yeah. Tim Lincecum right now. He's at 29. He's basically at 29 career WAR based on our numbers. Yeah. 29 career WAR. He's also 31 years old. Uh, 29. Ben Sheets retired, presumably. 33 career WAR. Yeah. Ben Sheets, 33 career WAR. Do you think Tim Lincecum finished his career ahead of Ben Sheets? He needs four th- more. <clears throat> you know, I would be. I think that there is a renaissance in Tim Lincecum's future. But that also might be a because that would be that would be that's how I would prefer it to be because he was so good at his best. Yeah, but uh, but maybe not. Do you know? Uh, so Lincecum made 15 starts this year. Do you know what his average fastball velocity was? This year? Yeah. I'm gonna I'm on his player page, but I'm not gonna scroll down. I'm I'll gonna guess. I, uh, I'll guess somewhere between 85 and 86. Yeah. Well, it was 87. Which is oh. about two and a half miles per hour slower though than the oh. year before. Yeah. Yeah. So that's I mean it's not good. It's hard to get major league batters out like that. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm paying attention, but I'm also not because I just also had to look up the Italian necktie. Did you look it up? I'm upset. <laughs> this is very distressing. I never knew about that. I yeah. think some part of my brain knew that would be a thing. Yeah. But I'd never unlocked the key to actually seeing an image of it. Yeah. And and I've done so. There it is. Yeah. Well, when I when Ryan Fruit told me about it, I begin I believe it was third grade. Uh, the internet didn't exist, or if it did, it was only a sort of a uh, military. You know. Sort of, oh, maybe you could. Uh, it was that point where you could put your phone onto like a a little dock, and it would call mm. the library for you. Mm. And then you could reach the internet that way. Mm-hmm. But there was no uh, browsers to speak of. Anyway, listen, Jeff Sullivan, it's been over an hour. I think you've fulfilled your obligation, unless you really think there's any pressing business we haven't addressed. I would like to make it clear that I don't ever feel like I have any obligation to this program. Okay. Well, that's the that's good. Yeah. That's good. I fulfilled my own Although desires. there is a satisfying there's – a, there's a satisfying – there's a, a nice sensation when you yeah. have when you have an obligation. I'm not saying I'm not saying I support this, but when you have an obligation and then you do fulfill it, mm-hmm. and then you say, "Now I feel good," like, oh, I, yeah. like writing yeah. the writing the Hardball <laughs> Times piece for that freaking oh, Paul Swiden. Oh my god! Oh my god! That was such a relief. And like last weekend, last weekend I finally, after six months of thinking about it, I finally went and bought a car. It's like oh, that is such a relief. You didn't want to buy That's- a car. I mean, I I had a car, but I was avoiding going what, to buy what'd a new you, one. What'd you get? I just like a used Subaru Outback because I wanted something more useful in this in this region. So like everybody, I now I have a, a super like everybody here in this region. I now have a Subaru Outback, but it's yeah. it's good for mountain roads and and such. Yeah, and such. And such, but it's probably one of those cars that if I were in like Kansas, it might have cost me four thousand dollars. But since it's here, it's cost me not four thousand yeah. dollars since it's more in the regional demand. Have you ever seen Stephen King's The Mist? I think it was Stephen King. It was no, Stephen King. I haven't. But I think it, there's, what, there's one point where everyone's hiding in the supermarket or something, and it comes in. And uh-huh. is, that, is that something right? Yeah, there's everybody is in the supermarket. There's a, there's a ranting religious woman who's forming uh, a certain following. Anyway, the the movie has an unbelievably incredible conclusion. But anyway, when we this uh, when we began this podcast, it was sunny outside, and as I look outside now, 
Stephen King's The Mist has rolled into the neighborhood. So I, this podcast has actually saved me from an afternoon jog because I no longer feel comfortable going outside. Smart. Hey, listen, yeah. I want to tell you, uh, uh, Eno Saris wrote a piece today about uh, asking the question maybe are, are sluggers, by mm-hmm. the way, that if, what we typically conduct uh, these sorts mm-hmm. of inquiries, uh, are sluggers maybe actually more valuable than, we, than we've thought? Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> it got me to thinking... You know, because and he eventually concludes that probably because of the way that first basemen age, sluggers age, sluggers age, that they're not. But you know, first basemen and sluggers are typically the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking though, who I was trying to think to myself, who are the uh, first basemen who have survived, had careers, or had at least good seasons, who haven't been sluggers? So I lo- I went back and I looked at all those players who uh, played primarily first base since the, or since 1961, I guess, but had mm-hmm. a below-league average isolated slugging percentage. That's like the James Loney's and, and uh, those people? James Loney did not show up on the list, actually. He did not show up on the list. Mm-hmm. Would you like to guess, could you guess, which name appears uh, on the list most frequently? This is since 1961. <laughs> This is a first baseman who produced an ISO mark under uh, below league average, mm-hmm. and yet, uh, and yet produced a uh, well one of the top twenty. Or, you know, he's produced he, the, essentially. This is the best first baseman to produce a below league average ISO mark. Um, I mean, you're <laughs> Sean Casey. Let's see. Uh, no. There's John one. John Allred? John Allred's name appears once on the list, yes. On the, mm-hmm. Among the top 20. Alright. There's two guys whose name appear, well there's one guy whose name appears four times among the top 20 player seasons. Goodness. Mm-hmm. Is he, what was his era? Mid-80s, solidly mid-80s. Oh, this is, this is not good for me. <laughs> this is not for me then. He was uh, a Met. He was a Met and he's known for his fabulous mustache. Oh, Keith Hernandez. Yeah, Keith Hernandez. He had four yeah. of the top 20 seasons by this measure. What about, uh, uh, what position did Rod Carew play? Yes! Yeah, he played some first You're there, days. buddy. Three of the top 20 seasons. Yeah. He, uh, he and, and one other guy had three of the top 20 seasons. Uh, Noted was... blonde-haired cub from the... Mark, Mark, Mark Grace. Mark, Mark Grace? Mark Grace. What about Pete Rose? Did he play first base ever? Yeah, uh, I don't. Yeah, he did, but uh, he didn't qualify. But he's, but he's mm. better. He might have played. He might even in the seasons he played first base, he might have played enough third base that he didn't qualify. Because mm-hmm. I set the positional adjustment at negative seven point five runs mm-hmm. over per six hundred plate appearances. Okay. Okay. I'll tell you what. Here, how about this to close okay. out? Okay. Okay, buddy. Okay. 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 So closing out. We're going to set a super low minimum. This most recent season, right? This most recent season, minimum, yeah, just 150 plate appearances. Okay, sure. Who led the American League in slugging percentage? Minimum 150 plate appearances. Yeah. Who led the league in slugging Amer- percentage? Who led the American League? Because in baseball, it was Bryce Harper. Who led the American League in slugging percentage? Minimum 150. The minimum is a tip-off. The minimum is a tip-off. Because why would I set it so low? Otherwise? Why would you set it so low? Carlos Correa? Franklin no. Gutierrez. No! 620. That's, you're being ridiculous. I swear to God. 
What was his isolated power? 327. Was that the also, highest as well? Uh, highest in the American League, second in baseball to Giancarlo Stanton. Giancarlo Stanton's really good. Yeah. Here's the here's the only thing that gives me pause, right, about that, besides everything else I know about statistics. Well, what about uh, a witch who turned you into a dog? She would give you pause. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. That's good. That's good. I would have then then I would need to get into my emergency backpacking gear because I could not type and do my job. Wait. Wait, what did you need to do? Oh no. Yeah. Had, Wait, so say yeah. the thing you were gonna say though. Well, okay, well it gives me pause because of course it's a small sample. But still you think, okay, maybe Franklin Gutierrez is really strong, maybe he can hit now. Yeah. Fourteenth place in baseball in slugging percentage, fourteenth place right ahead of Joanna Cespedes is one Ryan Rayburn. So you know Rayburn's a strange play well, first of all he benefits from the uh what do you get? Platoon advantage quite frequently. Yeah. He's a strange player. Yeah, he uh, actually, yeah, two year, three years ago, he was a super good hitter. And then last year, he had the same WRC plus, except without 100 points of it. And then this year, he got the 100 <laughs> points back. So he's, okay, here Here are Ryan Rayburn's last four Yeah. WRC plus. Last Great. four. Go ahead and say okay. it. Yeah, tell me. 28. Sure. 149. 52. 155. Yeah. Figure that out. Um, well, I mean, part of it is like he doesn't really get as many plate appearances as most players, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm guessing like a lot of his value is tied to his ability to hit for power. And so, yeah. if he's not hitting, if he's not getting a lot of power on contact, then he's also he's probably just not worth that much. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's that's crazy. And in none of those years has he batted fewer than 200 times or more than 300. So he's just uh, you he could is, say he's all over the map, or you could say, oh, he's average. Yeah, you can say it. Yeah, I guess he's got say, a job. He's got a job. You know what? You can say anything you want about Ryan Rayburn to almost at, almost any point. Well, yeah, but don't don't say it in a Fangraphs article and not expect to get <laughs> um, men 18 to 34 to be upset. Well, Ryan Rayburn, in five months, will no longer be a man 18 to 34. Well, he probably won't comment on it. Well, he, you know what? He probably won't. He probably won't. Hey, uh, Jeff Sullivan, I want to invent, invite you to the end of this podcast. <laughs> I cordially accept your invitation. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I thank you for appearing. You say thank, you're thank, welcome, thank Carson. You. Or thank oh, you. right. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for All everything right. else. That has been Jeff Sullivan, senior editor, question mark. <laughs> um of uh, Fangraphs.com, Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Je- Jeff, stick around for a second, though. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>